prayer. It's the most ancient tenet of our faith and the most common way to commune with God. Yet, we often find ourselves returning to the same questions about prayer. How do we pray? Why do we pray? And does it really change things? So maybe it's time to refresh our understanding and revitalize our practice of this holy occupation. It's time to talk about prayer. Well, good morning, Element. It is so great to be with you this morning and to worship with you today. And we have a true blessing today for our message this morning. And I'm going to give a little introduction, even though I know a lot of you already know Chip Holmes. Um, He has been an elementary in and out for a few years. But Chip has been a pastor for many years in several different churches in the area and has run a home church for many years. And Chip has been a blessing from God for this church for several years. I look to Chip as a pastor to my heart, and he has been instrumental. The Spirit has used him many times to encourage this church in seasons where we needed encouragement, to teach this church in seasons where we needed teaching. And so I am overjoyed to be able to invite Chip to come this morning and teach us um, as a part of our series about prayer. So would you please welcome Chip Holmes. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Uh, don't expect me to live up to that, that's all I'm going to say. So thank you, but thank you so much. I appreciate that, Pastor Melody. Um, it's a, it is an honor to be here, and I do want to say that I've spoken to some of you, and, and really, I just want to say publicly, I love this church. This, this is, to me, this is what church is. Uh, for, for some of you who know me, my main thing is churches, there's organization in a church, so don't hear what I'm going to say wrong, but church is not really ultimately about organization. It's about being an organism. It's about the sum of the parts, everything together, making things up. Doesn't mean there aren't pastors. Doesn't mean there aren't leaders. Doesn't mean that things don't uh, have to be done in a, in a set and an orderly way, or you wouldn't want to come here on Sunday morning. But at the same time, it's an organism, and that's what this is. The, the idea of being owners, that's, I love that, that thought. Everyone is an owner. Everyone is responsible. Everybody works together. So it is my honor. I learn more from you than you would ever learn from me, so thank you for allowing me to come up and, and share a little bit with you. I've, I've loved the series so far. So what we're going to do is, if we can put up the prayer, I had a few other verses but realized I don't even know how I'm going to get through this. I, I, this is one of my favorite things to teach on, which almost makes it horrible because in a few minutes, how do you get through it? Um, I, I don't want to scare you, but when I, a young pastor, they asked me to come over to InterVarsity in St. Pete and teach on this for a week, and it ended up being three weeks. Now, I will not do that here. Don't worry. I promise, but it's just there's so much in this. So I had these other verses. I said, forget that. I, I'm not even going to get through these. But what it says is, pray then like this, and I'd like us to do that. So I happen to use ESV, don't really care what translation we use, maybe we can all read the same, same thing just for simplicity, but if we can all do this, and unless Jordan wants to sing it, 
Um, I've, there's some good versions, but, um, and we'll even raise some money for it, Jordan, if you want to. I don't know where you are. So pray, pray then like this. Let's go ahead and do it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Now, here's what's beautiful. What we just did linked us across denominations, churches, non-denominations, years and years. Augustine prayed this prayer. Wesley prayed this prayer. Luther prayed this prayer. This prayer has been prayed, and it links us together. We're not that different. We, we think we are, but we're really not all that different between us. There might be a couple little, oh, I baptize this way, I baptize this way. Who cares, right? We are across generations, across uh, churches, you name it, we are bound together. And this is a prayer that binds us together. I, it does say pray then like this, and I'm going to come back to that in a minute because it is interesting that this exact prayer was never prayed like that throughout the rest of the New Testament. So we're going to look at the principles, but I'm going to tell you one of the things I've learned as I've walked with Jesus, I often meditate on this prayer. There's a power in it. Hey, it's what he taught us. My, my theology is very Christ-centered. I can disagree on a lot of stuff. My main thing is Jesus. And, and, and if he taught us to pray this way, I think it's kind of important that we know this prayer. So I do think it's got power and it binds us together. When I, now I'm going to say something that you might think I'm crazy because it almost sounds the opposite. It does say pray then like this, it doesn't say pray this. And what I think is important about that is that we can become formulaic in our prayer. And the first week, Melody taught a lot on the mystery of prayer. And I have to tell you, one of the things I'm struggling with is I'm teaching this, I believe this, I love this material. I'm in a time in my life where a lot of my prayer is me sitting there and not opening my mouth. And I think God is okay with that. If he says something to me, I'll pray it. But it's me being silent. I read, I was in the midst of reading the book Invitation to Solitude and Silence that Melody mentioned the first week. And some of it just really caught me up. And I thought, man, I just always need to be doing, doing, doing. I'm OCD. I'm doing this and doing that. And, and sometimes it's good to just be still and let God invade. Uh, that Romans 8 verse with groanings that can't be uttered. And I love when people try to figure that out. What that means to me is groanings that can't be uttered. There, there are times when I can't pray anything and I just sit there and say, God, you got to take over because I am so broken. I am so tired. I am so at the end of myself that the only thing I can do is let you pray through me. And I don't even know how to do it. I'm just going to sit here in silence and trust that you are God. So I think there's tremendous mystery in, in prayer. I, I told someone recently, I love to pray, but I think I suck at it. I don't, I mean, I, that's, I, I don't think I'm good at praying. I, I just, it's not, but it's really okay to not be good at praying because it's him anyway, in the end, right? It's him anyway. So 
All right, so, so I have a quote from one of my favorite people in the world, Frank Laubach. Anybody heard of Frank Laubach? Wrote a book called Letters of a Modern Mystic. I would recommend it to everyone. His thing is prayer is, it's great to get in a place, but it's better to have it be practice of his presence and pray all the time. Fantastic book. Here's what he says. He says, if you are weary of some sleepy form of devotion, probably God is as weary of it as you are. That's spot on. If you're at a place in your devotional life, in your prayer life, where all you're doing is coming to God and saying, I'm going to do this because it's the way I've always done it. This is the formula I followed, and there's no heart behind it. Remember that the purpose of prayer, remember how it starts, our Father in heaven. This is about a relationship. This is about drawing close to him. This is about his love for us and us just talking to him. So don't make it just about your forms and your formulas. And here's what I'll say. If a formula works for you, if you people say, I use acts, uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, if that works for you, go for it. Just don't ever become formulaic where you're doing it just for the sake of doing it instead of approaching a loving father and speaking to him. So that's all I have to say about that. Let's go back to the prayer itself. Pray then like this. I'm going to just talk through this. Actually, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really disjointed here. But, but this prayer follows the beautiful pattern that Element has developed in teaching. Vision up, vision in, vision out. It just switches it around a little, but that's okay. It starts up, vision up, adoration. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then it moves to vision out, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it moves to vision in, transformation. A lot of this prayer is about transformation, about, about what God's doing in our hearts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. So while I'm not necessarily going to follow that step by step as we go through this, I do want to say that it's a, it, I, really you can take pretty much any truth in Scripture and follow that vision up, vision in, vision out. And I, I thought that was really cool when I looked at it. So let's start out where it says, Our Father in heaven. So this is who we approach. I raised my kids in what I would call a bit of a legalistic background where I said, don't ever talk to Jesus. Just talk to the Father because that's the formula. That's the, most of the prayers of Scripture to the Father, but you know what? I was really, really wrong because when Stephen was getting ready to die, he's talking to Jesus. When, when Paul wants the thorn out, he's talking to Jesus. There are, Jesus himself said, ask me in my name and I'll do for you. So, so I think the point of it, starting with our Father, is not some legalistic formula because I've always said, Whatever member of the Trinity you pray to, if you get it wrong, they'll figure it out and get it to the right person, so you're okay. But I think the reason is that the Father is seen as the protector and the provider. And in our prayers, I wonder how many times a lot of us approach him as our judge. God, I hope I can get it right. I hope I say the right things. I hope I, I have the right formula. I hope I, I don't have too much sin in my life, and, and I hope you're going to hear my prayer. He is a loving father. I watched, I, I didn't watch it for years, but I watched the other night. My, my wife was with my daughter in St. Augustine, so I was sitting around and looking at uh, streaming shows, and I said, you know, I never watched 
Shaq, and I don't know how many people watch Shaq, and I don't really need to talk a lot about it, but one, one line that's in that movie over and over again that really struck me is the, the line, God is especially fond of you. God is especially fond of every one of us in this room. He loves us. So when we approach him, we don't approach him to get him to do something he doesn't want. He's like a loving father who's saying, come on up on my lap and let's hang out and talk. And I think until we can come to that place in prayer, I'm not always there. Until we can come to that place in prayer, we're going to have some issues because we're going to try to convince the one who is perfect and flawless and does everything right that we and all our imperfections and all our failures and all our flaws somehow have done something good enough to convince him to be on our side. But he is our father. He loves us. I, your kids come to you. You don't say, Psh. I guess if they've done enough good stuff, I'll bless them. You're going to bless them because they're your kids. You love them. All the time you see somebody is, does, they're a bank robber, and they go to the mom, and the mom's like, I hope people realize they're really a good kid. They just robbed 33 banks, but they're really a good kid. Why? Because that's how parents are about their kids. God loves us. He cares about us. We're special to him. He's in heaven. So whereas we can ask an earthly father and they may not have the resources, we go to our father in heaven. He's got everything he needs to give us everything we need to do everything he wants. Then he starts out and the prayer divides pretty nicely between your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's three petitions regarding partnership with God and aligning with his kingdom, which I think is how our prayer starts. Remember, he's the father. He loves us. We love him. So pretty good to get his stuff done and as opposed to ours because I think in the end it's going to work out better anyway. Then he moves into give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and lead us not into temptation. I, I love that because I think there are two errors that we make in prayer. At least I see them in my life. There are times when prayer for us becomes selfish. And we just pray for ourselves. Oh, God, give me what I want. Give me what I need. And that's not to say there aren't times when we're in that place of brokenness and we just have to cry out for his mercy and grace. But I think generally, hey, we're supposed to have that outward part of us, that love, that let's pray for other people and care about other people. But then one of the things that I've often done in my life is say, well, I never pray for myself. I pray for others. And I think that sounds really spiritual. But it's not, because I'm completely dependent on him. So if I'm not praying for myself, then what I'm saying is I've got this covered, God, and that's going to be a difficult scenario for me. I don't have it covered. You don't have it covered either. I'm just being honest. I'm sorry. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. But what it's, when we say us, this never says give me, and it never says give you. It always says give us, because our prayer is filled with petitions for ourselves and intercession for others. We, we do both. And he says, when he says, hallowed be your name, I, I, some people say, I see that, and I'm going to start my prayer out with praise and worship, and I think that's okay. But I honestly think it's even bigger than that. I think that's a prayer for God's name to be seen everywhere, everywhere you look. So I'll give you an example. Ladies are going on a beach day. I'm jealous. My Jesus went to Mount Hermon. I go to the beach. That's my place where I meet with Jesus. I go, my wife sits down, and she starts reading, and I start walking. 
Um, it's pretty normal for me to walk 20 miles on a beach day. I just go up and down and up and down. I go to Siesta Key, I go to Anna Maria Island. I know every space of those. And here's what hollowed means. When I walk along the water, I look out, it's beautiful, the sun's shining down, maybe a couple ripples, couple waves. Sometimes I see a dolphin and I say, yay God, that's really cool. That's hallowed be his name. Everywhere, in everything, in every place, we recognize the creativity, the love, the mercy, the goodness of God. It's a sense of worship. One man said that missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because there are places where God isn't worshiped, and because God is not worshiped in those places, and God should be worshiped in those places, we send missionaries to make worshipers. God should be everywhere. His name should be identified. I'm not saying everything is God. I'm not saying my phone is God. But everywhere I look, I should see the goodness of God, and I should adore him and worship him and honor him. I have an example. I, anybody, everybody see this? Can you see it? What is this? Anybody, anybody know? Who's, who's, somebody said Vix. My point exactly. Did you say Vix? So now I was great. And when my wife told me to go get the Vix, that's what she said. This is actually Publix medicated chest rub. It even looks like Vix though, right? You know what? Vix is so identified with chest rub, and I use it when I get stuffy. Vix is so identified with chest rub that whenever you see something or talk about something, you say, that's Vix. We do the same thing with a lot of people say, get me a Kleenex, but you're really getting a Tufts. It's, it's, it's because it's become identified. Everything in our lives, in every place, in everywhere, we should identify with him, right? I want him to be identified in Myanmar and in India where this awesome ministry is going on. I want him to be identified in Iran and Afghanistan. I want everywhere, every person to look. Why? Because he's awesome and his name should be hallowed. And if you get to know the God I know, you're gonna wanna hollow him and other people are gonna wanna hollow him. So I think when we pray that, while it is great to start our prayer with worship, don't hear me wrong, But I think that there's also the capacity that what we're saying is, God, I want your name to be worshiped everywhere by every person in every way. Then he says, your kingdom come, and I'm going to split these in half. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I believe Jesus is coming again, and I I pray your kingdom come. I, I believe that. But I think that it's limiting to only look at your kingdom come as his return. I pray your kingdom come because I want the kingdom of God to advance in this earth. And here's what I'll say. Every act of love, mercy, compassion, justice done as a representative of him is a breakthrough of the kingdom in this world. When you go to New Life Village, it's a breakthrough of the kingdom. When I I saw that Brett Culp posted that he was in one of his speaking engagements at a, a, a corporation, I believe, and in the middle of it, kind of a prayer meeting broke out. That's the kingdom coming. When you're ministering and you're, you, you, you give a cup of cold water in his name, that's his kingdom coming. 
We pray that his kingdom will break through in society. Now listen, and, and please hear this correctly. It's not a Republican kingdom or a Democratic kingdom. It's not a black kingdom or a white kingdom. It's not a rich kingdom or a poor kingdom. It's not a Baptist kingdom or a Pentecostal kingdom. It's the kingdom, the rule of God. It can break through in all those areas. And every act of love and justice and kindness done in the name of Jesus is a breakthrough of his kingdom. And I pray every day, Lord, your kingdom come. Let more of you, let more of the amazingness of Jesus be seen in the world that we live in. And then he says, your will be done. That's a tough one. Pastor Benjamin addressed that one, didn't he? Your will be done. So I'm going to tell you something, and, and, and then I want to explain it. I very will rarely pray if it be your will. I probably shock some of you. You say, oh, gosh, you guys had somebody come up and their name it, claim it. They're saying you can get whatever you want. Absolutely not. It's understood in every prayer I pray. I can't figure God out. If someone's sick, do I pray for healing? You bet I do. Do I trust God for healing? But does everyone get healed? Absolutely not. People say describe and define healing for me. I cannot. There's so much mystery in that. I'm gonna, if you're sick, I'm going to pray for you to be healed. But if you don't get healed, I don't have to blame anyone because I don't understand why God does. I know that in the middle of that, let me say this in the context of it, I know that the Farrell Ross family, you, you, you guys just had a great loss. I don't understand that. I'm never going to try to understand that. What I know is in the middle of it, his kingdom shows through as you just continue to worship God. As Pastor Melody got up last week and she taught the word, and I'm sure a very difficult time, as you continue to represent and shine his light, that's his kingdom coming. So I don't understand the part about the healing. I believe God heals. I don't, he doesn't always heal, but his kingdom is always prominent, and his will, I don't understand it, but it's always getting done. There are times, I, I know everybody says, well, wait a second, Jesus prayed it. I even want us to understand the context of Jesus praying that. Before the foundation of the earth, Jesus knew he was coming here to die on the cross for you and me. He knew there was no other way for humanity to suffer. Yet Jesus, who I believe was fully God, was also fully man. And in his humanity, as he gets close to that, he recognizes just the natural pain of death on the cross. And then that's accentuated by dying for every person. And I think as he gets there, when he says, I'm surrender to your will, what he's saying is, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. If there's any other way, any other way, I will take it. I don't want to go through this pain. I don't want to go through this suffering. But what he's saying is, I am surrendered to your will, Father. And if there's no other way for this to happen but this to happen, then I will do whatever you want me to do. So if there's a time where you feel like God said do this or don't do this and you're hopeful to change his mind, good luck with that. Um, you can pray that same prayer Jesus prayed. But in general, I, it is understood in my prayers to God that if he doesn't give me what I want or think I want or think I need, I'm going to be okay and I'm going to continue to worship Jesus because his will is better than mine. And here's what I know. He is in charge. He loves me. He's going to do good things for me in the end, even if I don't understand or define that right, so I can surrender to his will without any fear whatsoever. Then he moves into the prayers for us. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Prayer for provision. That's 
in our nation, that's a tough one for most of us, if we're honest. I don't worry about where my next meal is going to come from. But what this is saying is we can trust God. I will tell you, I, was, I used to uh, teach pastors in Zambia. And I was sharing with these pastors in Zambia, and I was talking, and so it was hard. I was talking about in Matthew 6, where it talks about don't worry about tomorrow, don't worry about your food or drink. You know, we teach that here, and, and it has, I, I, it's necessary. But you teach it there, and, and it, it, it plays. I asked these pastors who really needed to teach it to me, how many of them were at the point of starvation at some time in their life? Now, we're in Sinazagwe, Zambia, which is a really rural area, and every room, every hand in the room went up that they were at a point where they thought they could have starved. And they had these amazing stories. Yeah, we hadn't caught anything in the, in the river for three weeks, and we put in, and boy, we got an overflowing amount of fish enough to feed us, our family, our village. Or... Yeah, somebody came and dropped off maize. We hadn't expected it. The timing was off, and they came with it. They understand what this means. This doesn't mean give me a lifetime supply of filet mignon. This means give me my daily bread, what I need today, and we can trust that God is going to give us everything we need. Then he says, and forgive us our debts. Now, this is what we talked about as confession. We, I confess to God. I, I, I don't know if I'm the only one here. I fail. There are things I do that miss the mark. And I, I ask his forgiveness. But my emphasis is always grace. And I, I got to tell you, I see something pretty amazing here. When some of you have heard of Acts, right, where you pray adoration. Can, okay, there's a, re, there's a few reasons that it lines up the way it does. One of them, I'm sure, is it fits Acts to, to do it that way. But one of the reasons is, from a human perspective, that's the way we would assume that prayer has to go. We adore him, we set our sights on him, then we confess, we clean up, then we thank for all the good things, so now we're in a pretty good place with him, and then we supplicate. Has anyone ever caught that Jesus switched that around and provision came before forgiveness? What a gracious God. I think it even plays. Here's my thought. Don't misunderstand me. You say, oh, so you think God doesn't care what we do? I didn't say that. What I said is God loves us sometimes despite what we do, and his grace motivates us to do better. I, I, I think here's how this prayer goes if we're praying it kind of in this order. Give us this day our daily bread, and then Thanksgiving, just as a natural thing, wow, you've really given us so much. You've been so gracious and so merciful, and hey, I realize I haven't always done things the way I should. Even this morning I didn't. So Lord, you know what? Forgive me. Grace. It's just like when people got healed sometimes in the Bible. And I, I've heard people teach, well, if there's any sin in your life, you're not going to get healed. Do you know that Jesus would often heal people and then say, go and sin no more? Do you catch the order? He healed them. No grace, total grace, total mercy, nothing, nothing in them. And then he said, go and sin no more after the fact. His grace motivates us. And I think his grace was a motivator to ask for forgiveness. And then he says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Unforgiveness is not a good thing. And I think what I'll say about this first is we are called to forgive our debtors. I, I think that 
There's a danger, though, in us now making God a judge, as though if we don't hit that perfectly, God now turns his back on us. I think, continuing with my idea that grace is the great motivator, I think this fits. If we really pray this and believe this, I think this all fits together. I think it starts as, oh my goodness, God, you have been so good to me. You have so blessed me. You have been so overwhelmingly kind. Now I have to come to you and I have to ask for forgiveness and I have to confess the things I've done. But you know what? I'm doing that. You loved me even before I did it, but now I'm doing it. And as I'm doing it, I recognize I'm holding some little piddly things against people that are so much less than the things I've done against you. You know what, Lord? Have you, you've forgiven me. You've promised your forgiveness to me. I'm going to forgive them too. Now, I don't, I don't want to go too far with that because certainly unforgiveness has an impact on our lives. Certainly unforgiveness has an impact because it just, it, it, it's, what did Nelson Mandela say? It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's, it's, it's true. When, when we have this unforgiveness and we, we don't care, it just ties us up and our relationship with God is impacted and our relationship with others is impacted. So I'm not saying that's not true. Just be careful not to now tra- change this into our judge, hallowed be your name. It's still our father. And he as a father is going to lovingly work you through that. And if you feel like you can't forgive and you feel you can't release, it's okay to come to him and say, God, I'm struggling with this and allow him to work in your heart and bring about that forgiveness. And you'll be amazed at how often he does that. And then he says, lead us not into temptation. Temptation can mean sin, right? Temptation also can mean trials. Here's the reality. Anybody here never faced a trial in your life? So this clearly isn't saying, oh God, make my life perfect, because it doesn't happen. I'd love to say it does. It hasn't in my life. Maybe it hasn't in some of yours. God bless you. But I've had trials in my life. So it's clearly not saying that. As a matter of fact, we don't like to hear this, but James says we're supposed to count it joy when we're in those troubling times. 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul doesn't get his thorn removed, he says, I I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and distresses because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So there's a value in trials. And in in regard to sin, God will never tempt us to sin, but you know what? There are places we shouldn't frequent, and we sometimes need God to help and remind us where we should and shouldn't be. When I was in college, I was an addict. Drugs, alcohol, you name it, I did it. And I came down to Florida and met Jesus in Florida and a whole new friend group in Florida. And when I came there, I had an instant change in my life. And people say, wow, that didn't happen to me. God was so gracious to me because he took me out of my element. I called my friends and I was, I, I, caught this Jesus bug so much, I called all them, and I'm like, hey, you guys, you need this too, and I think they all changed their numbers because they didn't want to talk to me anymore, so my entire friend base was gone. God put me in a place where I could be safe. I would say when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're saying, don't take us beyond our breaking point. We all have a breaking point, whether it's temptation to sin or whether it's trials. I know God will give us more than we can bear because his grace is going to be there. But I think everybody probably has a breaking point. We're saying, God, just don't take me to the place where I'm going to break. The writer of Proverbs said it this way. He said, don't give me poverty and don't give me riches. 
feed me with food that's convenient for me. What's he saying? There's a point where I'm going to get caught up in my stuff, and I'm going to turn my back on you, and there's a point where I'm going to have so little, I'm probably going to steal and walk away from you. Just give me what it is I need each day. And I think we're saying, God, don't, I, you know how weak we are, how frail we are. I know we're going to go through trials. I know we're going to be tempted to sin, but just don't take me past my breaking point. And then he says, but deliver us from evil. I, when I see, or the evil one, when I see that, I think to myself that we need help. Even from a human perspective, I don't know about any of you. I've, I've had times, I, I struggle some, and yeah, I mean, hopefully this doesn't offend anyone. I struggle some with anxiety, like pretty extreme anxiety, and I've seen people for it. I don't feel bad about it. And if you're here today, hopefully you don't feel bad about it. Um, you don't have to tell anyone in, in the room, but I've seen someone for the struggles I have with anxiety. I make assumptions, and I think that's okay, and I think it's good. Uh, to, to realize we can't do it on our own, but it's also extremely important to realize more than anything, we can't do it without him. If you're here today and say, I struggle with this addiction, you better bring it to him and talk to him about it because he can help you. He's not going to turn his back on you. He's not going to spit at you. He's not going to say, wow, you're the first person who's ever done that. That's, that's not going to happen, but he's going to walk through it with you because if you've got these things in your life that you want to get rid of, he wants to walk through and get rid of it with you. He loves you. Remember, he's your father. He's especially fond of you. He has tremendous love for you. And those are the principles, and I think those principles are in our prayer. Might one day... There are times in my prayer where I'm mostly reading my Bible, and I think, eh, I'm trying to figure out what his kingdom looks like, so I'm reading the Bible. There are times when I'm quiet. I want to know what his will is, so I'm doing that. There are times when it's focused on worship because I'm saying, hallowed be your name. There are times when my prayer is more focused on intercession and petition because I'm saying, give us our daily bread, forgive us, and I'm, I'm going through that process. So I, I don't think it always has to look the same. But I think there's a power in coming to him in total dependence. And just before the, these verses, he had said to them, he had, he had said, don't keep babbling in your prayers like the Gentiles because they think they'll be heard for their many words. And then he said this, don't be like them because your father knows what you need before you ask. You know what that says? I think it's good. God wants us to verbalize these things. Don't anyone misunderstand me. God wants us to verbalize these things. God wants us to come to him in prayer. But in the end, our success in prayer is not based on our perfect formula. It's not based on us hitting everything. Am I the only one who I've forgotten to pray about something and all of a sudden it's like, wow, God, you answered that and I didn't even ask it. Well, you know what? It's because God is God and he knows what we need before we ask. It's about dependence. And I, I have a couple verses. I just want to close with these two verses, and I'll, I'll say one or two words, and then the band uh, can, can come forward. Can we put up Luke 18? Um, okay. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's a beautiful prayer. It's, a, it's not no formula. It's not in line with what we talked about. Hey, he's even talking to Jesus. There are times when my prayer is just Jesus, son of David, 
have mercy on us. Go to the next one in Matthew. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Wow, how'd you like that? Um, He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Awesome. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out. Here's the thing I don't want us to do is make prayer a work. Prayer is a grace. Prayer is us coming. And, and, and the, the band can come forward at this point. Prayer is us coming into his presence, loving him and worshiping him. And coming to a father or coming to Jesus or coming to the Holy Spirit and saying, I don't have what I need. I'm struggling. I'm suffering. I'm in a tough time. I don't know how this is all going to work out, Father. I don't know how this is going to all work out, Jesus. But I trust you. It's sitting at his feet and listening. It's coming into the lap of the Father and talking. It's, it's all those things. Because in the end, in the end, our victory doesn't come because of our perfect prayer. It comes because of a perfect Father who is perfect in his love and wants to minister to his children. And even in those times where he has to fix our prayers because we surrender and say, not my will, but yours be done. Even in those times where he has to fix our prayers, he still loves us. And that's, that's what prayer is to me. Really simple, really straightforward.